And welcome to the Bill Bennett Show. Welcome back to many of you. Welcome for the first time to some of you. We are growing. We definitely are. Getting a lot of emails that says, hey, just found the podcast two weeks ago. We try to do thoughtful conversation about the news of the day and address existential threats to America. Uh, joining me today is Brett Baer of Fox News. I want to do this because I'm a, I'm a kind of a Grant student, Ulysses S. Grant. And uh, Brett wrote a book called To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. Read the book. We're going to talk about it. And there's yes. some lessons for today. Believe me. I'd like to talk a little bit about a couple things going on, uh, sports and social policy. But first, I'd like you to uh, read this uh, email. It's a very nice email, very thoughtful email from Marilyn. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I just wanted you to read it, and we'll respond to it. I'll respond right right, right away. And uh, we encourage people to write the show. Absolutely. And how do you write the show? How do you write a show? Bill Bennett Podcast at gmail.com. And it'll get That's to it. It'll get to show. me. Absolutely. Yeah, let's, it will get let's to Let's roll. All right, so Marilyn says, still miss the radio show, but love the podcast. Yep. We miss the radio show, too. Yeah, um, yeah, pa- yeah, some of it. I don't miss 3.30 wake up. <laughs> 3.30 wake up calls Monday through nope, Friday. No, nope, no. Nope. A couple things I do miss about the show, if I could just share this before we read uh, the, po- the the uh, email. Uh, the first thing I miss about the show is the fact that we would order um, Ben's Chili Bowl pizza and chili dogs. Oh, well, not pizza four o'clock Ben's in the Chili morning. Bowl. Ben's Chili Bowl chili dogs. Right. Half smokes. Four o'clock in the morning. Right, and then pizza from another place. Mario's, right. 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 Oh, yeah, Mario's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one, that's one thing I miss. The other thing I miss, especially around this time, we would uh, there were times where we would do a show Thanksgiving morning. And we'd come in, we'd call up, see what folks are doing on Thanksgiving. Everyone's yeah. called in, saying yeah. what they're cooking and what they're thankful for. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, a, you know, another thing I miss. And then another thing that I miss is that, you know, we would get these uh, six-and-a-half-minute breaks at the top of the hour. That's a radio yeah. term. And oftentimes we'd get on the elevator. You and I would walk around the building. We would take turns. It would either be you and Chris Beach, you and David Willis, or you and myself. We'd walk around walk, the building. Walk around the building. Just get walk. A, yeah, just get a quick exercise in. Other times I took six and a half minute naps. Right. Or five minute and 45 second minute Correct. naps. Do you remember uh, the <laughs> I time? can actually do that. <laughs> you Go can. into my office, fall on the floor. I had a pillow and a mat. Right, and I take a gosh knows. Go ahead. Yeah. Do you remember the time we took a walk outside after the show, and so we kind of stood outside the building just for another two or three minutes to, to kind of talk? And someone thought we were homeless and offered to buy us breakfast from McDonald's. Yeah, we didn't dress up for the show. No sweatpants and sweatshirts. Yeah, they thought that we were in need. Great person, obviously, because they would have helped us if we were. Well, you remember George Costanza <laughs> to uh, to to Jerry on the mm-hmm. Seinfeld show. Yeah, the sweatpants. When you're wearing sweats. You just gave up. It yeah. means you've given up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there we go. Uh, still miss the radio show, but love the podcast. The dialogue with your guests such as Seth Leibson, Mark Corian, Gordon Chang, and so many others is very educational and provides depth and detail that are not found in newspapers, uh, evening newscasts, Sunday morning polit- uh, political shows, Cable TV opinion shows or anywhere else. By the way, um, the episode with Seth Leibson and uh, Joe Farkas, Brian uh, Kennedy are the most recent, if anybody want to check um, those out. If possible, I would like you to include some of the potential future leaders in the podcast. Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis. We need to find out sooner than later if there is uh, anyone out there who can challenge the media uh, and the Democrats like Donald Trump did, but do it with more diplomacy and especially with more understanding of the facts and the issues. 
We need leaders who, uh, leaders who can define and defend free market capitalism as the most moral system possible, who can remind us that without borders and without immigration laws that are followed, we have chaos, et cetera, et cetera. Thanks to the two of you, Bill and Claude, I'd like to say mostly to no. Dr. Bennett, um, for your, that was a parenthetical by me, by the way, yeah. uh, for your hard work. Keep up the great shows. Oh, well, thanks, Marilyn. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Thanks for listening. She mentioned several people. I spoke to Mark Recorian yesterday. I just happened to I have his phone number. I didn't ask you for it. Mm-hmm. I had it. And I um, called him and, I, and said, could this be true? That if you're coming into this country from Europe, you got to show proof of vaccination. Hmm. Yes, but wow. if you cross the border illegally, you don't have to. No, you mm-hmm. don't have to show anything. You don't have to be vaccinated. You don't have to be tested. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, you know these you know, sort of wealthy um, Europeans should just you know hop a flight to Mexico City and, and then just walk across. Get a, get a limo up to the border and walk across. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to be on a raft with a bunch of people from Honduras, but I, I, it, it's just it's just so absurd. It is just mm-hmm. so absurd. And it's showing in Joe Biden's uh, rank, uh, ratings. He's, mm-hmm. he's sinking. I was on uh, Brett Baer last night, the special report, and I said this is a f- failing and falling presidency. It really is, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's bad. And I, you know, I I, I, I wished him I wished him luck and, and goodwill if he you know, would do the right things, but I can't wish him success in his projects now because I think his projects are so wrong-headed. Right. Inflation is crazy. Mm-hmm. we got empty shelves, plus we're shelling out a lot of... I guess someone told me if you want to get a 22-pound fresh turkey, it's now $80. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. crazy like mm-hmm. that for Thanksgiving. Um, the border crisis, uh, people still left in Afghanistan back to the table with Iran um, not clear at all about uh, China and what we're doing and certainly not giving them a you know a, um, a the kind of the kind of tough time we ought to be giving them mm-hmm. and uh, tough talk and at least tough talk if not tough policy it was just a mess plus these cultural things this this is really interesting mm-hmm. Loudon County and, and I had thoughts along these lines Jerry Baker writes for the Wall Street Journal talked about what the Republican Party could do. Just think about this. Seize the moment to build a coalition of economic populism and cultural conservatism, addressing the dystopia in modern American life. Elevate the family and traditional values, resist the advance of cultural nihilism, and reject pure neoliberal market economics that has in some ways exacerbated the crisis. Um, It's an interesting idea. Uh, uh, Economic populism and cultural conservatism. yeah, uh, the cultural conservatism. I mean, we had this debate about critical race theory, and we're mm-hmm. still having it. Parents don't want to talk. Then you have this incident in the schools, Loudoun County, where this guy goes into a unisex bathroom right. mm-hmm. wearing a skirt mm-hmm. and rapes a girl, mm-hmm. gets thrown out of the school, um, goes to another school and does exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Parent goes to the board meeting and complains bitterly and is escorted and roughed up by the Security people. Oh, uh, he was hot. Who? Why wouldn't he be hot? Why wouldn't he? Yeah. Um, but this thing was covered up. Mm-hmm. Now you, you can say the critical race theory is the is the entry point, and it is. But you talk about a girl being raped in a unisex bathroom. That's a, that's the gut punch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And although people are nervous about talking about this, vast majority of American people do not want to see unisex bathrooms. Right. Right. They do not want their daughters with boys. 
mm-hmm. um, whether they're wearing skirts, whether the boys are wearing skirts or not. But this kind of thing um, where people are saying, come on, you know, common sense, let's let's teach math, English, history, science, art, and music, stop all this other stuff. Then they have this curriculum in one of the schools where they're asking parents if they want their kids to take it to sign a non-disclosure agreement, NDA, mm-hmm. saying they won't tell anyone else what's in, what the content is. What is embarrassing mm-hmm. uh, that is in there that they, they don't want people to see. So people are pushing back. And, you know, my theory is we have the kind of... Um, other night on TV, I called Biden a toy totalitarian, mm-hmm. but that may be too modest. He may, he may be going toward the truth, the real thing. Mm. But it's the state that knows better and promises to take care of you from cradle mm-hmm. to grave. Just give them all the money, uh, cradle to grave, and they will take care of you. But you will do what they say, and you will submit. You will not object to the state-imposed curricula on, you know various things. You will not object to vaccine mandates. Mm-hmm. You will not object to whatever the state decides is good for you to do and to have and your kids. And people are saying, wait a minute, freedom. And then the other day, you know, the president made fun of freedom. He was talking about freedom. Oh yeah, you have freedom. All right. Don't get a vaccine. You have freedom to get someone else sick. Oh boy, that's great. Freedom, freedom. Don't, don't take that lightly, Mr. Mm-hmm. President. Freedom's a big deal in this country. Freedom and equality, liberty and equality. That's it. That was the cornerstones of America. And um, I, I, I just think we could be in a real uh, time of change, of, of real change, real shift. Go ahead. Sure. Yeah, well, don't forget, I mean, it's going back to the bathrooms and the school thing. Uh, you know, it, uh, remember when this whole thing first started, uh, the whole thing was, oh, anyone who says that, you know, straight boys are going to go into bathrooms and mess with girls. That's just, that's lunacy. It's not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're just trying yeah, to drum yeah. up fear and hate. Yeah, well, yeah. then here's an example of it happening. Yeah, it's you know, happening. this is exactly yeah. what we say it could happen. Yeah. And by the way, if that is just bringing up a worst case scenario, shouldn't we prepare for that? I mean, one girl being taken advantage of in a high school bathroom that's unisex is one too many, right? Yeah. And so why not do everything we can to avoid that? Even if it helps with whatever identity you choose to go by, there's a way to do that to where it doesn't infringe on anyone else. I mean, isn't that what the whole freedom thing's about, right? And can't you imagine countless incidents that don't rise to the level of, you know, crime like rape, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of embarrassment in these bathrooms mm-hmm. where the girls are there and a boy walks in. I'm sure these girls just wait until the boy leaves. Well, and we hear about it all the time in the Me Too movement. How many times are these incidences, not, they don't even go reported by grown adult women. So imagine teenage girls who may feel the same shame and embarrassment and just want to move past it and think they can deal with it internally yeah, and, so they, and don't they don't say it. anything. Don't exactly. It, yeah. And so, you know, we, we, I mean, and, 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 you know, I hate to bring this up, but, you know, we talked about even the confirmation of uh, confirmation hearings of uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh and how, you know, the, uh, the, the woman waited years and years and years and years and years to say anything. Oh, well, it should take as much time. This stuff really happens to, to, to some of these young ladies and they may not be saying anything. Do whatever you can to keep a young woman safe. Isn't that the whole Me Too movement thing? And I'm, I'm a Me Too person. I'm like, let's do whatever we need to do to keep women safe. I have a sister. I have a wife. I have a niece. I yeah, want to make sure that yeah, they're good yeah, and that yeah. guys don't take advantage of that. And then even with the school thing, you know, uh, you've seen the, the, the ad and, and the sound clip of uh, Terry McAuliffe saying, we don't want parents 
you know, dictating what happens in the schools. I'm sorry. Why don't, why, why don't we want that? You know, now you, you, you take that and you contrast it against what's, what happened in Louisiana at a high school. Um, there was, um, this one, a three day period where 23 kids were arrested in a school for fighting, you know, and it's getting out of control. What happens is the dads in the I school, yeah, we're going to start dads on duty. And so it was a, a group of 40 dads who took shifts in the area high school and immediately. And since that point, no fights in the school and they come in, they're greeting kids as they walk in, they're telling jokes, helping kids get to yeah, class, yeah. just patrolling the hallways. Yeah. Just being dads. Yeah. Don't we want, we want parents involved you in bet, school. You bet. You bet. 23 kids arrested in, in three days. No, that's right. For fighting. No, that's great. No, it's a great example, Claude. Serious men there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, God bless them. Good for them. Talk about the NBA. Sure. There's this guy on the Celtics, Enos Cantor. Is mm-hmm. that his name? Mm-hmm. I think that's his name. And he's ripping the Chinese. Okay. Uh, he's a Muslim, and he's ripping them for their uh, incarceration and torture and worse of the Uyghurs, the Muslims in China. Good for him. And um, ripping the NBA for its uh, collaboration, cooperation, uh, hand-in-glove uh, relationship with China. Um, and he's even gone so far as to criticize LeBron. Check that out. Yeah. So um, it's interesting. He's got some support, too, from some other players, I think, right? Sure, yeah. And there's also some of these guys who are saying they don't want to be forced to be vaccinated, mm-hmm. some of the NBA guys. But let's stick with Cantor for the minute. Um, he said a lot of the shoes that people are wearing are made in these Uyghur concentration camps. Mm. But then there's another shoe that is being made that I think you can buy that says, you know, freedom for for these guys. And I, I, I don't know who makes those. Someone okay. can maybe clarify. But I'm so glad to see this guy speaking up. Now, he's Turkish, I, right, Turk by, mm-hmm. by birth, um, but uh, very outspoken. Uh, he's spoken about Tibet and all. And the Chinese just wish he'd shut up. And I, I don't know if Celtics wish he'd shut up. Maybe. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the Chinese are not showing the Celtics now. Is that right? Do you know? Oh, I don't I don't know, but I'll I'll check it out. I'm not sure if they are or not. But yeah, I'll it somebody may it know. Somebody who's mm-hmm. listening may know. Um, you know, the Chinese play hardball. They'll say, hey, if you don't shut this guy up, we'll cut off all the NBA games. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just the Celtics. I don't know, but they, they play hard. But uh, who was the guy in Houston who had said, you know? Uh, oh yeah, it was the owner, correct? Yeah, yeah. Right, and right, and right. Uh, I think it was, I think it was LeBron again who said he's speaking stupidly on the matter. Yeah, yeah. not really. No, he's not. You know, and um, so we got scheduled Olympics, Winter Olympics in uh, Beijing. In Beijing that's right, right in mm-hmm. February. Mm-hmm. Do we go? Well, these people are running concentrate. I don't think we go. I don't think we should go. Well, that's a great question. And again, it comes it comes at the head of you know the liberal causes uh, colliding once again. I mean, here's the NBA. I don't think there's any other league more liberal than the NBA. I mean, from you know think what you want of it, but the Black Lives Matter T-shirts and the well, protests, sure, sure. And, and you know if that's what you want to do, fine. But it goes both ways, right? I mean. What about injustice all over the place? The NBA makes a lot of money off the Chinese, and that most folks want to stay quiet about. Uh, but injustice is here in, in our country, whatever you want to. No, no, they there. talk about it here, but it's the injustice is here, nothing compared to what the Chinese Nothing are compared doing. to that yeah. the, of, of the Uyghurs, but they don't want to, they don't want to talk about that. Oh, uh, no, no. So we, we cheer this guy on. Mm-hmm. We cheer this guy on. All right. Uh, let's talk to Brett Bear. 
You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Hey, what's easier than opening a can of cranberry sauce? We're all thinking about that around mm-hmm. this time of year. Definitely. Getting free life insurance quotes with Policy Genius. Oh, I was thinking eating cranberry sauce is easier than opening it. But getting a policy with Policy Genius is also easier than opening Very it. Very easy. Mm-hmm. Certainly easier than getting a turkey. <laughs> Nowadays, you have to afford it, right? <laughs> anyway, uh, if you're looking for something to do while the family's running a turkey trot, we used to do turkey trots all the time, mm-hmm. you can be just as productive by comparing quotes from top life insurers with Policy Genius. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. Why do you want to compare? Well, you could save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. And eligible applicants can get covered in as little as a week, thanks to an award-winning policy option that swaps the standard medical exam requirement for a simple phone call. This exclusive policy was recently rated number one by Forbes Advisor, higher than options from Ladder, Ethos, and Bestow. So how's it work? Getting started is easy. First, head to PolicyGenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need, and you can compare personalized quotes to find your best price. So, head to PolicyGenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Bill Bennett Show. Bill Bennett Show. Let's welcome Brett Baer to the show. You know him from Fox News Channel. He's also the author of the new book, To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. This is a really good book, folks, um, and I say that as a uh, guy who's partial to Brett Baer and partial to Ulysses S. Grant. Um, <laughs> I, I, my my affection for Grant is is pretty newfound. You know, I went with sort of the conventional wisdom that he was a not an important figure, drank too much, blah blah blah. But uh, thanks to your work and the work of some others, that is that has changed. Um, this is a really good book about a man and the times in which he lived and how he change the times in which he lived for the better. You have a kind of theme, Brett, in your books, at least I I know your book about Reagan and Russia, which is great men and their great moments. Is this something that interests you particularly? Yeah, I think so, Bill. I mean, I really think that uh, diving back into history has become really fun for me. I was a political science and English major at DePaul, and I I wish I would had been more history-focused, but I found it later and uh, have just really loved uh, going through some of the, the moments of our past that actually forecast a lot of where, you know, we can go as a country. It's really amazing to look back at what these leaders dealt with and how at many times it syncs up with what we're going through now. Grant was a complex character. I mean, he really was. And I didn't know much about Grant's presidency at all. I knew Grant, the uh, union general. And so that format of finding out something, a discovery myself, I think um, lends itself to helping others discover that too. It happened with Eisenhower, which I only knew General Eisenhower, really. I didn't know about his presidency. It happened with Reagan in the specifics of those final negotiations with Gorbachev. And it happened at FDR, Churchill, and Stalin with the Tehran conference, which was really overshadowed by Yalta in the span of history. 
Grant's presidency was largely overshadowed in the span of history. Well, it's a great way to make a living, and I don't even think you make your living this way. I, I, I think this is what you do because you love to do it. And I mean, I know you love yeah. all your work, but no, this is good. I want to, I want to run through some things. The main thing I want to get at is the pivotal moments that would determine the fate of the Republic, uh, in which Grant's saving hand intervened. And I want to do this by talking about different moments of his presidency. Uh, first of all, you just, everything you say is reminding me of something in the book. He was a complex character, but I, I underlined, um, you, you quoted his son saying, yeah, but dad was always the same, right? He was always the same character, but always the same complex character, right? Right. Yeah. If you were outside his bubble, um, you probably thought he was standoffish and very quiet and, um, you know, maybe not a nice guy. Uh, he was very internal. He did not express himself uh, a great deal. He was not a self-promoter. He was really self-effacing. But when it came to the people closest to him, uh, he was very close to them. And his wife, Julia, and his kid were number one in his uh, heart and mind at all times. Let's talk about Grant the General. I almost said, I almost led here with my my conclusion, which is not my conclusion, but what I came to the the book with um was he a butcher uh you use the phrase in the book or more mildly put did he send too many men to their fate when fewer men could have done the job you say at the time of shiloh battle of shiloh i know people in the south brett who say after shiloh we never smiled you know they still say that you say at the time of shiloh he was changed in that he would only fight full out he understood he had to fight full out so he always seems to have a lot more men than the Confederate general he's facing. I mentioned Shiloh. Writing about Vicksburg, you say uh, that when he's facing General Pemberton, Confederate general, goes full out. Uh, Pemberton, with fewer than 30,000 to grant 70,000. Throughout the war, he held a great numerical advantage. And at Petersburg, you write that they settled uh, in for trench warfare of nine months of stationary battle, of endurance and attrition. But you also say, were it not for Grant, the agony might have dragged on until the Union itself was destroyed. Was he too reckless or too careless with the lives of his men, or is that what it took? Well, I mean, his subordinate said um, that's what it took, and that's what Lincoln saw as kind of this military savant um, Mm -hmm. sort of strategist. Uh, who, you know, at times did things differently. Uh, and each battle plan was completely different. You mentioned Shiloh. I mean, at the first part of Shiloh, uh, the Union forces take a huge, yeah. huge toll. Uh, and, and there's bodies and blood flowing through the fields. And, and the reason we know all of this in his words is because of his memoirs, which were wrote, written really eloquently. Um, Mark Twain, you know, praised it uh, extensively about about his writing and how detailed it was. But in Shiloh, at the end of the first day, Sherman comes up to Grant uh, in this drizzling rain outside of a tent, and he's under a tree, and he's sitting on the stump, and he's whittling, and he's staring into the distance as all these people have died, and and there's all this carnage, and Sherman is ready to say we should retreat. But he looks at Grant and says to himself that he, he can't say that. So he says, General, we had a devil of a time out there today. And um, Grant turns to Sherman and says, yep, and we'll lick him tomorrow. Yeah. Well, that will lick him tomorrow um, was that kind of resolve that Grant had. And that cold resolve is one of the reasons uh, he was successful. He did, in fact— come back and lick them tomorrow at Shiloh and change the dynamic of the war. 
Cold Resolve, and I'm not trying to be devil's advocate here. I'm just trying to figure this out. Cold Resolve and more men, right? I mean, more, more men. men. I mean, you, you make a great point about Lee, who, I forget exactly how you put it, but you put it some way like, you know, Lee acknowledged that they lost, but they lost because they had fewer men and the North had more and they were beaten. Not that the cause was unjust. Well, right, for Lee. Um, and, and I think, you know, it, what Grant does have, though, is uh, the ability to identify with the opponents, with the, the Confederate soldiers. He is magnanimous in victory and is, uh, you know, to the point where he tells the captured soldiers to leave with, you know, a horse and a gun. Uh, he is, um, you know, if they're not completely destroyed in the other side, he is trying to say that he's not fighting them in particular. He's fighting the Confederacy and the thought that that would work. Uh, He's fighting for the Union to stay together. And as ugly as that battle gets, he realizes towards the end uh, that he never wants to see it again. And that's what is driving the rest of his his public life. I want to get to after the war, but do we think of him as one of the great strategists or the guy that could win because he had this cold resolve. Well, he, he was considered a great strategist. Now, I mean, there's a battle of a military strategist of whether Lee or Grant was the better military strategist. And the people who looked at Grant as how these successes happened and what he did in each one, they had different plans, you know, fighting through the wilderness, surprising yeah. um, troops and at one point, Grant realizes that the other side is as scared as he is about the moment that they come up to battle. He writes very eloquently about it. And I think, I mean, he's going to go down as one of the better strategists of uh, military plans. Okay. Okay. We're talking to Brett Bayer. The book is To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876. And I want to get to 1876 in a, in a couple of minutes. But The Fragile Union, was he like Lincoln... Obviously, very committed to the to the concern and obviously the condition of uh, of the freed slaves of Black Americans. But was he first and foremost for for preserving the Union? That was the first and foremost cause. Lincoln said several times. Grant the same. Yes, one hundred percent. And Grant comes to that. Um, you know, after his time in the war, he's not somebody who uh, is seeking political office. He never really wanted it. Um, He once said, the only office I really ever wanted was the mayor of Galena so I could build a sidewalk from my house (laughs) to the depot. And, um, you know, when he gets done Howard Dean with the, uh, with the, with the bicycle trail in Vermont, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Okay. I'm sorry to interrupt you. (laughs) But he does finish the war and he, they throw him a parade in Galena and there's a big sign that says the sidewalk is finished general. Anyway, um, he, he does not seek the political office, but he does believe that somebody has to take the torch that Lincoln had, yeah. the torch of keeping the union together at all costs, the torch of fighting for uh, black equality and uh, the right to vote and citizenship. And he is he takes the baton of the 13th, 14th, 15th Amendments and really considers that a passion that he's fighting for. And after the war. Uh, and before the, uh, his election, you reminded me when you were talking about didn't want to be president. What did he say when when he won? He said, "I'm, I'm a, to Mrs. Grant to I'm Julia. Afraid. I'm afraid I'm we. Afraid I'm afraid I won. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I won." 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, I can't find many modern precedents for that, but um, uh, yeah. um, so in peacetime, his role first of all is to keep this union together, to keep the promises that were made, and the opposition here is in the form of the guy who succeeds uh, Abraham Lincoln in the first instance, Andrew Johnson, uh, and uh, he and Johnson have many confrontations on this. What was the who nature? Arguably, Go ahead. Who arguably, Bill, is, is really one of our worst presidents. I mean, I don't think there's a, a close second. I'm not sure. But, I mean, if you look at the span of history, there's no one that, I don't know, is more racist, uh, more taking back the country backwards to where we were and um, and is, is undoing a lot of what Lincoln was trying to do. So at any rate, um, Grant has a number of desktops with Johnson uh, to try to prevent him from uh, unspooling some of the things Lincoln had set in motion. And uh, at times he succeeds, at times he doesn't. And that's one of the reasons Sorry. that the Confederacy is feels like it is uh, bubbling back up, and there are these white militias that are forming in the South, not just the KKK, but former Confederate soldiers who believe that this is the beginning of the rise of the Confederacy again. Yeah, I was. Uh, you, you you started to answer the next question. What is the state of of Reconstruction uh, after the war? Uh, why is it so fragile? Why does it need this guiding hand? Well, because it's um, the federal troops are just untenable uh, in some of these states. It's becoming uh, over time, um, you know, an occupation. And it is it is becoming the two different uh, parts of, of the country that uh, one does not feel like it has an equal say. It does not feel autonomous and thereby is rising up uh, and has real problems with the equality of blacks, uh, across the board, let alone, you know, getting rid of slavery in that environment. Grant is fighting Johnson, uh, before Johnson eventually steps over the line, uh, does one too many things, gets impeached and loses really all his political power. And that's the draft grant movement moment. Is, is Johnson, uh, and, and the Democrats, the main problem or is the problem the South Southerners themselves, white Southerners themselves? Well, it's really the South, but the Democrats are making moves um, to, and Johnson is too, to tilt back uh, the other way. Right. And, um, you know, some of the, the things that they're, they're doing are fighting uh, the 14th and 15th Amendment, uh, the citizenship and the right to vote. Um, and, and yet, uh, Grant and his allies uh, managed to push it through. Yeah. Let's move forward to uh, uh, the presidency. He was uh, wildly popular. Why was he so wildly popular? One thing I didn't I didn't know last year I read that was the Chernow biography, right? What is that? 12, yeah. 1,200 pages, whatever it is. It's yeah. big. It's big. I read it too. It's, I'll it's bet quite you did. big. It's big. I, I guess I just uh, I didn't know this, that um, there was this great affection for Grant. I don't know if it's it's right away after the war or it took a while, but great affection for Grant um, from from the South and from defeated soldiers and from Southern citizens. Was this was this did this happen pretty quickly after the war or did this happen uh, over? Did this take time? I, I, I really didn't know that degree of appreciation of Grant as a figure, as a national hero, was something that was abundant in the South. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it blossomed. Appomattox was a was a moment, and uh, word about that and how Grant treated uh, the generals and specifically Lee, but others. Okay. Uh, with great reverence and respect, uh, the dignity in which he showed uh, prison ships uh, full of uh, Confederate uh, captured soldiers, um, the efforts uh, that they made to, to make sure that those people had something to go back to. Now, this is a different environment, obviously, than Sherman's March to the Sea, um, who right. is perceived differently in, right. in the South. Uh, but Grant is not is not painted with that. Uh, he's painted as being magnanimous and um, and someone that they can deal with, and also an American hero. That's a fascinating. You bring that up because I was just thinking about Sherman. I was thinking one reason, but I was so surprised to see the appreciation of the South toward Grant was Sherman appears on every other page of your book. I mean, he's very close to Grant, right? Uh, he's close to the family. Yeah, and uh, and they were clo- they were close in war and. Um, I know, I know people in Georgia who still, uh, you know, re- remember or don't remember, but they were pa- it was passed on to them that Sherman was the devil of all devils. March to the sea. Yeah, and that that was a, a horrific thing for some of those towns, but they determined that they needed to do that to prevent the Confederacy from rising back up and to cut off the supply lines, etc. In the middle of war, Grant is not painted with that, and um, yeah. and he has. A lot of friends, actually, who are Confederate generals. He fought alongside them in the Mexican-American War. He served with them in West Point uh, in one way or another. And um, at his funeral, fast forward, I mean, he has four pallbearers, two Union generals and two Confederate generals. And um, he's just well-respected. All right. Uh, Let's go to Grant as president and make transition here by way of Sherman. He warns Julia. I love this. I'd never seen this before. He says to Julia, it's not what he's done, but what they will say he has done. And they will prove that Grant is a very bad man indeed. You will be astonished to find what a bad man you have for a husband. (laughs) What's that? It's called negative uh, campaigning, right? Yeah. How true is that even today? Yeah, no, no kidding. But uh, but he's a national hero, and so he's elected and and, and elected again. Forty six, the youngest man ever to assume the presidency. Still the case? Yes, yeah, younger than Obama. God, he didn't look forty six, did he? No, he looked like he was ridden hard and put up wet. But uh, <laughs> he was he was uh, you know he was worn, you know, and he was war yeah. war uh, worn. Um, he he was. Slight, you know, five seven, five eight, hundred and thirty pounds. Didn't wear a lot of uh, fancy clothes. In fact, you know, back during the war, they take a picture of him and his head, and they put it on a different body sitting erect in a in a saddle because they didn't think yeah. that his slumped over small figure was the victorious victorious uh, image they wanted to show on the newspapers. So that was the first Photoshop or early days. Uh, but he you know, didn't really care about appearances, uh, yet he is well-respected and wins in a landslide and takes over the presidency. Uh, Julia loves being first lady, I mean, absorbs it, and um, and he goes about the business of, of trying to unite the country, which is on his mind, um, job one. And in his, and I love this in the book, um, didn't know this, uh, but you make the point explicit, he did not select a team of rivals. Right, and this was the famous title of the book about Lincoln, um, Doris Kearns. But uh, his friends, uh, you know, have have friends, not rivals. But it's his friends who get him in trouble. It's probably the biggest mistake he makes. 
and it's probably the biggest flaw that Grant had. You know, you can say that his character was flawed when he goes drinking as a soldier early on. No evidence that he really has a big problem. He doesn't drink around Julia, and Julia's always around. Um, but he, he smokes cigars incessantly. But his biggest weakness was that he was not politically savvy, and he trusted a lot of people and put people who thought were friends uh, in positions in which they took advantage of. And he was blind to that prior to it and didn't handle it well after it. And the scandals that arose because of those friends had a lot to do with the reputation of Grant for a long time in many people's minds, correct? To this day. I mean, yeah. to this day, yeah, yeah. You, you paint with the broad brush of, oh, yeah, Grant's presidency was ridden with scandals. Yeah, I mean, there was petty corruption. There was scandals that people made money off of his name. Um, but it didn't go back to Grant, number one. Number two, uh, in the big scheme of things, there were many more important things that were happening in the country. Yeah. Let's go to the election of 1876 uh, and uh, tell us just a little bit about it and why you think we might want to pay attention to it today. Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden, Republican Hayes and, and Democrat Tilden, uh, it's essentially tied. Um, but three states, Florida, South Carolina, and Louisiana, put up two sets of electors and are not deciding. And there's all kinds of allegations of fraud, abuse, um, of stopping, preventing voting. Um, and it's a major, major battle uh, back and forth. Uh, it comes to a head in Washington, and it is not being decided. In fact, it's starting to bubble up violence around the country. Uh, and in Washington, there are people standing on desks in the House floor saying, Tilden or blood, and uh, it is getting very dangerous. Grant knows this. Uh, he believes that he needs to be a, a neutral uh, purveyor of, of the way forward, because obviously as a Republican, he wants Hayes to win, but he more importantly wants it to be legitimate. So he sets up, uh, proposes and sets up this electoral commission with five House members, three Democrats, two Republicans, five senators, three Republicans, two Democrats, and five Supreme Court justices picked from um, administrations of both parties and one who's supposed to be neutral. They still can't come to a conclusion. And Grant, uh, it's really starting to go south. And he comes up with, with the help of this shadowy Louisiana figure, Edward Burke. There's always this, a shadowy Louisiana somewhere in the, um, in the story. But um, this guy works for the Democratic nominee for governor who's, who's engaged in a battle for the governorship down in Louisiana. And he suggests a deal that Grant signs on to, a grand bargain that would give Democrats the state house, uh, the governor's mansion in Louisiana and South Carolina, pull federal troops out of the South. Uh, the South would agree to stay in the Union and to uphold, more importantly, the rights of blacks across the board. Uh, and then Rutherford B. Hayes, the Republican, would win the White House. And that deal is struck literally in a back room at the Wormley Hotel in Washington with Grant kind of leading the way. Talk about the smoke-filled room. That's exactly what happens. I underlined and punctuated, broke the page with my pen. Uh, everything now depends on a fair count. Was there a fair count? Is there any way to know? There's no way to know. A lot of people looking at that election said Tilden won. Uh, and actually, in the big scheme of things, 
Samuel Tilden is also a hero in this picture. And that is, you know, he, he was being advised by the Democrats to fight, fight to the end and really go out swinging. And his thought process is to keep the country together uh, to go along with the deal. Um, and so the deal happens. And, and again, Grant is trusting that the South is going to live up to their end of the bargain. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's where I think Grant, you know, if, if Reagan was in that position, it would be trust but verify. Verify, uh, right. But that's where I think Reconstruction falls then on Grant unfairly. And in the, in the time after, there were many leaders who could have taken the Lincoln baton and run with it uh, and, and stood up for equality. Um, but they didn't. And Jim Crow comes and other atrocities come in the South. Uh, and I think a lot of that falls on Grant in the end of Reconstruction. But if Tilden had prevailed, it would have meant the end of Reconstruction, right? The Reconstruction was running its course. It had been, it was exhausted. Both the North yeah, and the South yeah, yeah. were pretty tired of federal troops being in the South. Long and interesting life. Let's talk a little bit about <laughs> a couple of encounters that I love the human encounters. And he's, you know, he's, he's not, he's not a smooth dude, is he? I mean, the, he, he, I, you recount one meeting with, between him and, and Lee. Does he actually say this? Well, I guess we destroyed a lot of railroads. Now let's see if we can build some together. Right. Is that right? He did. He did say that. And, Brought him and, to the White House. And Lee doesn't respond, right? He just is stone-faced. It doesn't say much. So it's like uh, crickets chirping. Oh, man. Yeah, those are bad moments. <laughs> those are bad moments. And then um, in this last part of his life where he just manfully has this horrible uh, sickness, struggles throat through cancer. throat cancer. Yeah. Um, he, uh, so bad that he they have to spray liquid cocaine on the back of his throat because he can't swallow. And um, this is after he has lost all of his money because of a, another trusting effort that he did, a Their family friend. member who invests all the money and then loses all the money. And uh, he needs to write first magazine articles, doesn't get paid a lot. Mark Twain finds out how much he's getting paid and gets very upset and says, you need to write the memoir about your Civil War experience and I will publish it. And uh, he starts writing longhand his memoir, throat cancer hits, he's really sick, but he keeps on writing. And writes furiously until he finishes, and then he dies a few days later. Twain publishes the memoir. It's the best-selling book of all time in that era. It makes roughly $14 million for Julia and his family in his death. Yeah. There's another funny meeting there, right, with he and Mark Twain, with him and Mark Twain. These men who were very good with words, wasn't it Mark Twain and, and Grant, when they yeah. Matt, they kind of stared at each other. Nothing, yeah. nothing to say. That's right. And you know they've made fun of that later that uh, yeah. that that they didn't have much to say. Twain, he Grant really loved Twain's sense of humor. Uh, Twain went on to roast Grant at a big award right. ceremony, right? The presidency in which everybody was dying laughing. Right, right, right. And Twain rescued, I mean, rescued him. He was furious at the at the rate he was getting for his magazine articles, right? Thinking, yeah, he was making like 500 bucks, and Twain said, this is unacceptable. Yeah. He was a former president, a former commanding general of Union forces, and uh, and he vows to make a lot of money for Grant. Unfortunately for Grant, the throat cancer caught up to him. 
we have to let you go. I, I just, just, I don't, I don't want to force uh, with a question here, but I just want to invite you. What, what's the most important lesson or lessons for an American president that we take away from the American presidency of Ulysses S. Grant? Brett? My takeaway after this experience and about going through this, and and that, that's what you do is you you dive into it and. But learning about it and, and kind of feeling through it and writing it um, is that it takes a lot of effort to keep our republic. It takes a constant vigilance. Yeah. Um, it's the freedom that we have is not automatic. We've got to fight for it. And every election is our expression of that and um, and is how we become the nation that we are. Uh, so. Grant's role in keeping the union together was significant, and I think we owe it to history to look back and realize the contributions of different leaders like Grant. History can be really instructive uh, to the way forward. Were we closer to coming apart in 2020 or at the aftermath of 2020 than we were in 1876? No, nowhere near. Nowhere near. I think so. The book starts. The book starts on January 6th as I'm covering yeah. the Capitol riot and um, and actually ends uh, as after the George Floyd protest and a, a statue of Grant is being pulled down yeah, yeah, in San yeah. Francisco. Crazy. And, uh, but I don't think we're anywhere near um, where 1876 was. I mean, literally, we as a country were ready to tip back to the second part of the Civil War. Um, 2020, it was dark. I mean, it was a dark day on Capitol Hill. And uh, there's no doubt about that. But um, we as a country are resilient um, going forward, I think. Yeah, there's a, there is a cultural divide, though. Boy, I, I talk about it culturally. There is a big difference between folks in South Carolina and Nancy Pelosi's district, and not just about one issue or two, but a lot, you know. I'm having this argument with Alan Gelzo. You know Alan, I'm sure, is working yeah. in Lincoln. And uh, he said, not since the Civil War have we been so divided. I said, I think we're more divided in terms of ideas and culture and uh, disagreements. But um, we're not, you know, we're not, we're not going to Civil War. But, um, yeah, fragile republic. Exactly right. And that's what the first few of the Federalist Papers are about, about all these people who tried and failed. It's not inevitable. It's only through the work of uh, people and great men, great leaders like Grant. Thanks for the book, Brett. Well done. Very well done, sir. Thank you. Thank you for the time. I you appreciate bet. it. The book is To Rescue the Republic, Ulysses S. Grant, The Fragile Union and the Crisis of 1876, the author, Brett Bear. Okay, that does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. That's good. I'm just testing you. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and friends. We'll catch up next week.